You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. So welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian technology industry, where we're going to be discussing the topic of choosing the right technology for successful scalability. We're going to cover many areas, touching on things like building teams and technology for scale, designing the UI UX for scale, cost, architectural patterns, security best practices, and customer and data-centric design. Um, So we've heaps to cover today, guys, but First of all, I'd love to introduce a pretty incredible, impressive panel um, today. Um, and once again, I'm looking at Marun. Do you want to kick things off and give us an intro? Sure. Thanks, Shauna. Um, <clears throat> hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Marun. Um, I've got over two decades of experience um, in the tech sector. I've uh, been fortunate to wear many hats during that period. Um, you know, pretty much standard, uh, started my career um, designing solutions across very large databases uh, and solving um, uh, problem domains. Um, at my core, uh, I believe in a very data-driven um, solution uh, approach, uh, uh, in a product-centric approach. Um, I, I, I take pride in that, uh, and I mold teams that resonate with that principle. Now, at the moment, I'm currently um, the head of engineering uh, at Kindred Group for our sports organization. Um, in this role, I oversee our engineering efforts, uh, ensuring that our technical operations align seamlessly with our business goals. Uh, I lead a dynamic team of about 150 engineers uh, globally. Uh, and I've been able to fuse my past experiences, lessons learned uh, to foster innovation, drive technical excellence and ensure that our products not only meet, but exceed our market expectations. Um, it's a position that, constantly, that constantly challenges, challenges me, uh, excites me and allows me to bring the best of technology and leadership together uh, to my team. Yeah, that's me. Thank you very much. Very impressive, Ron. Um, Stan Jay, looking at yourself, take it away. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sanjay Bhagya. Um, I'm currently working at Inaro uh, as a cloud solution architect and developer. I've been with Inaro for past two years. Uh, and over here, we are building an industrial IoT SaaS product, uh, which basically we partner with a bunch of uh, device vendors. Uh, and we build we build a, a software layer on top of that, where customers uh, who are basically in different industries can leverage the platform to do all sorts of things in terms of monitoring their their assets to tracking their assets and all sorts of things IoT enables. Um, I've been living in Australia for the last four years. Uh, before that, I was based in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, I am a Microsoft guy through and through. <laughs> I've even worked with SharePoint in my past life. But uh, these days, I'm happy uh, coding around uh, Azure. Looking forward to a great conversation with you guys. Thank you so much, Sunday. Um, John Heaton, absolutely last but not least. Tell us about yourself. Thanks, Shona. So, uh, yes, work for Alex Bank, uh, currently in uh, strategy and technology, investigating uh, future opportunities, uh, which is currently partner channels, embedded finance and payment technology. Um, my background is deep consulting uh, and emerging technologies across the world. So I worked in Africa, worked in the US uh, and now in Australia. Um, and then really looking at how I create value from technology with complex real world problems. So that's really the niche that I kind of focused on. Um, currently in 100% building 100% digital businesses, uh, cloud-based digital businesses. Uh, and my passion is uh, actually building high-performing engineering teams who are empowered to make a difference for customers and organizations. 
Incredible stuff. Thank you so much, John. Um, yeah, guys, I'm chuffed to have have three of you here today. Um, and it's a very hot topic. Um, so we'll get stuck into it. So um both like I mentioned just um before we hit record on our podcast, there's a there's a there's a couple of different areas of scale that um that you can talk about. Um and first of all, I'm looking at Maruns Brot. His first sort of subtopic is about building teams and technology for scale. Um, and they're probably good to sort of kind of home right in there on scaling a team. Start there because I think it's looking at um, what resources you have and what what that what that team like needs before you kind of even get into the technology, right? So, Maruns, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Shauna. Um, I, I guess you know from our experience over here at Kindred. You know, going from a team of about 20, 30 engineers to a team of 150 that's globally distributed um, was a challenge in itself. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, you, you got to talk about the importance of uh, the right mix of engineers um, and, and, and the right um, uh, uh, type of engineers uh, when, when you try to grow a scale. Uh, you know, from, from juniors to mid-levels to seniors, um, you know, having that right balance is, is key to building a successful collaborative team that's going to, uh, you know, work quite closely together. Um, uh, the importance of open communication within that team is is, is key, you know, re- regular scheduled sync ups um, at the organization and team level is important. Um, you know, we've managed to employ a, a, a myriad of tools and platforms in order to facilitate virtual collaboration to ensure everyone's aligned, you know, across our missions, our goals, uh, our product delivery, um, you know, ensuring regular training sessions, workshops, uh, have been quite pivotal to newer team members joining the team and understanding our culture, our processes, our, our vision, our values. Um, so all, all, all that kind of coming together kind of helps us build a sustainable um, uh, culture and a sustainable, a sustainable team moving forward. Um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to collaboration and communication. Um, and it's all, it's all about the, um, the uh, you know, people that work for you and work in your teams need to be invested in that culture and invested in what you're trying to do in order to, you know, maintain that environment. So, yeah. Incredible stuff. Thanks so much for that insight. That's excellent. Um, when it comes to sort of scaling teams and then obviously the technology that comes with that. John, what's your experience, first of all, firsthand of what you sort of do when you're um, scaling the team and then going into the, the, the tech choice? Sure. So um, we were we, we're not we weren't quite as fortunate as uh, Maroon to go from you know that many engineers to exponential number <laughs> of engineers um, as a yeah. startup. We, as a startup, we uh, weren't blessed with uh, kind of how can I say uh, an abundance of resources. So we kind of tackled yeah. the problem uh, a little differently. What we tackled was was really looking at the engineer and and how to broaden the engineer's role. You know, typically what we found today. Um, engineers are very, very, especially in, in banking and financial services, uh, engineers are very, very specialized. Uh, they're very focused on their, their kind of niche and what they kind of do. So what we mm-hmm. did was we, we kind of brought them in and, and our engineers go from requirements gathering, uh, through solution design, through coding, testing, uh, release management, DevOps, SRE. Uh, implementation, post-production support, and basically uh, customer support on the, on the back end as well, being our internal customers. So it's really about broadening uh, the skills and the capability of the technology. So instead of having multiple specialized teams, uh, we had very, very broad engineers that could scale their capabilities across the entire tech stack. The other wow. piece that we did was, was we didn't have the luxury of having 
um, like I mentioned, many, many engineers. So we had to scale the technology straight away, uh, which meant yeah. from us that we had to invest in uh, making sure we had automated DevOps, automated uh, processes, you know, very, very robust engineering practices that was, was highly automated. So it would actually reduce the amount of work that the engineer had to do. And in that, we had to then embed all of our compliance and our um, regulatory requirements as well. Being a bank, we've got uh, lots of standards that we have to comply with and lots of regulatory obligations. So we kind of embedded that into the the day-to-day functioning of engineering so that it wasn't a bolted-on process for the engineers. So basically, that that enabled us to do some pretty magnificent things. We managed to build, you know, our first origination platform in six weeks with 1.25 engineers, uh, fully digital, um, just through getting through that scale. So for us, it was all about leveraging technology and broadening skill sets. Excellent. Um, very different insights, isn't it? And very, like, it goes to show you, like, scale um, comes into different companies at different points in time. It sounds like, Marun, maybe yours is, like, more project, and then you're, you go back to kind of more product, John. Would you say that's kind of the difference there? Product and, and foundation, yes. So setting out foundation, but absolutely. Um, you know, and I think, you know, once we get to a certain point where we have built the foundation, we'll definitely be in Marun's shoes of, you know, having to scale yeah. the team and, and focusing different parts of the team on different features and different products that we've got. Um, but at, at the moment now, it's about, you know, back to what Marone was saying was around collaboration and communication to build a scalable foundation. Uh, and then once we've got a scalable uh, and consistent foundation, then we can scale the team. Hello. Amazing. Um, Sanjay, in Oro, how have you guys done it? Um, yes. In a startup. Um, yes. Tell us about it. So, I mean, I share a similar experience to what John just described, and we are a small team. We are engineer, mm-hmm. uh, engineering heavy, engineer focused team. We're still a startup. And uh, we basically uh, did most of the same things. I mean, we went on cloud native basically from the get go. I mean, there was no other choice for us. Yeah. And we do all kind of things, and it's, it's kind of um, uh, feels good to hear what John said I do every day. <laughs> <laughs> So we cover a very broad spectrum, like from, um, you know, requirements to all the way to. So you're you know, actually this, this... a scaled engineer in, in the flesh. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yes. That's a good, that's a, that's a good term, yeah. So, yeah, so we, 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 we bear the consequences of what we develop and push into production environment. It, it all comes oh, down yeah. to us. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, going cloud native, uh, of course, I mean, uh, was the uh, best thing we have done. I mean, we don't, we, we either go cloud we you know use third-party services wherever we can so we Mm. we don't try to run anything on our own we don't like the infrastructure part of it i mean we try to minimize as much as we can uh but yeah i mean these things i mean the thing is i mean these technologies can give you really good leverage you these are levers you can pull to actually achieve so much more with such a small team it's it's amazing i mean it's really really great time to be uh, a developer so to say yeah I actually see that in my own job, this this whole kind of um, scaling of skills. Um, the the best engineers I get to work with, their skills spill over into DevOps. You know, they're looking for um, the opportunity to grab that, to, you know, get involved in infrastructure design, get like stuck into like your cloud ops side of things um, and just looking for the areas where they can really impact the, the end product and the user. Um, 
And I think it ties us in nicely to kind of where you were talking about um, out. Um, Arun, your next um, point was challenges around cloud and scale and costs. Sanjay, you mentioned costs and so did you, John. So this is an interesting one because I feel like everyone sees cloud as the, the you know, this is this is the, the well, I suppose, the way to do it. But there's a lot of costs and things you need to look out for, right? When you start to scale with, with, with cloud. And I think each of us have all done it differently. So, yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about that, Sanjay? Um, the cost aspect of cloud and um, what areas you kind of need to be wary of. Yeah, I mean, cost is an interesting term when it comes to cloud. I mean, not that yeah. we didn't spend money on the hardware running the services <laughs> before cloud came in, but uh, cloud is kind of interesting in the sense that, I mean, everything is subscription-based, right? Everything is consumption-based. So yeah. um, before you know it, I mean, there's a call that you receive from your manager. Okay, what the heck happened? I mean, why are we spending so much money on this tiny little feature that you put in the production two days before? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, see, I mean, um, as powerful as cloud is, uh, and I appreciate like we have uh, plenty of tools to monitor the costs of uh, whatever we are running in cloud, but it all comes down to your responsibility as a, as a solution architect or as a, as, a, as a developer even, I would say, whatever you are putting out in cloud, you you have to keep cost in mind at all times. Um, and you need to be uh, very careful what services you choose to use when it comes to cloud. I mean, cloud mm-hmm. is awesome. I mean, these guys do an amazing job of providing all sorts of services. And a lot of those services are premium services, and that means they come at a cost. So what you have to be cognizant of is if you decide to use any of these premium services, are you okay with the cost that comes with have you even done your homework? Have you even considered how much it's going to cost you to have a little little feature that you want? So this is something, this is an exercise you always have to have. I mean, there are there are tools, there are cost calculators that come, all, I think almost all cloud platform uh, providers do have these calculators. Uh, but in my experience, even if you do your diligence, you run those calculators, but it's only, you know, when you run the workload, you truly get a sense of it. And this yeah. is also like part of the part of the plan. You need to run some POCs, you need to see, you need to evaluate, maybe even in prod. Then based on that, you take a decision, okay, can we sustain this feature? Can we sustain this approach? Or do we need to deviate a bit to make it a bit more efficient? So just like with anything else, I think this is something, an ongoing and evolving exercise you need to carry on um, whatever yeah. feature you are pushing into an environment. Uh, yeah. A lot of responsibility. I, I can't see here the word, um, scary word of looping <laughs> being brought up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, those little things, those little things can can uh, boil up. I mean, you. pretty pretty quick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, what's really interesting, Maron, you, I know quite a few of the engineers in your team, and I would say they're, they are scales, skill sets as well, pretty incredible guys you have. But um, you've got a different approach to cloud, right? Um, I can do it. Tell us about that. Yeah, yes, definitely. It's, uh, I think you know from 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 our approach, um, uh, you know, we run a hybrid approach when it comes to cloud. Uh, we currently, I believe, have about twenty data centers that we manage globally, uh, where we uh, run a, a, an internal um, uh, cloud environment that we call the Kindred Cloud. Um, this cloud environment runs on an open stack platform that we manage internally, uh, but we also use AWS and Azure and a whole bunch of other services to uh, put services in the cloud. 
uh, based on the use case and based on um, uh, on, on our approach to our customer-centric uh, uh, way of deploying our solutions. Uh, one misconception uh, with scaling uh, into the cloud is that it's inherently limitless and easy to do. Uh, while while do cloud platforms do offer you know, great opportunity and great scalability, uh, it's crucial that we architect uh, our systems correctly and manage resources to optimize costs because uh, you can easily be burned quite quickly with cost overruns and, and especially with an organization to the size of ours, um, without proper governance and management of these cloud resources, you, you, you straight away, you know, costs run, run, run through the roof. Um, so it's not always cheaper. Um, it can it can be with proper management, but obviously when it's let go, it, uh, it can spiral out of, out of control. Um, so yeah, so our, our approach is a hybrid approach. Uh, we look at our workloads, we look at our um, you know, uh, where the best use case for a workload is, whether it needs to be um, uh, on the cloud based on a, a, a specific tech stack that we need to use versus um, what our skill sets are internally with, with our engineering teams in order to pretty much um, yeah. run that tech stack internally. So, yeah, we do have a very different approach to how we tackle it. Nice. Amazing. And still like very much building for scale, you know. Exactly. Um, that's really cool. John, what what is your current state in terms of cloud and your experience in the costs and effectiveness and um, yeah, well, tell us about it. So um, we had a very similar um, similar to what Maroon and and Sanjay is. You know, we we spend quite a lot of time um, in the iterative approach, looking at what services we could actually consume. Um, to solve the business problem and then what are the costs on actually running. As Sanjay says, you know, you can run it through a cost calculator as many times as you want, but until you're actually running it, um, you don't actually see the true cost of that technology. Our our focus on cost was was a little different. We, we knew that as soon as we started building our platform that we would go through a, a period of hyperscaling. Um, you know, like over the mm-hmm. last six months, we've grown. We've grown our business by ninety-four percent. We've grown our broker market by two hundred and seventy-two percent. And we had to be very, very conscious that when we actually built the solution, that our technology costs were not going to exponentially grow as our business grew. Right. So we first started off with technology like serverless, um, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Right. I mean, we got into the market great. We got solutions up and running fantastically. And then we started to scale and then, you know, that, that moment comes when you get the bill and you kind of double take it and go, <laughs> um, we may have a problem here <laughs> Be- because if we uh, e- extrapolate these out to, to what our real use cases are, uh, we're not going to be able to afford this. So, um, you know, we, we consistently go through and constantly go through refactoring the technology um, to uh, contain scale. And, and, you know, that's sometimes where, Maroon's approach is, you know, where you've got control of your own hardware, you've got control of your own stack, it's yeah. a fixed cost, right? You, you know how it's going to scale and, and it gives you that that kind of capability. Whereas on the cloud, you've got to be laser focused on that, right? And today, um, you know, some of the ways that we we do that, um, A, we make our engineers test and, and do cost assumptions and, and cost analysis before that. But we also rely on on treating infrastructure as code. Um, so everything gets patterned up, you know. As soon as we find something, we put it into a pattern in Terraform, uh, and then that becomes the blueprint until we find the next evolution. The other thing that, that we really like about cloud and we really like about cost is um, it's very, very easy from a technology perspective now to quantify to our customers and our end users 
how much a specific feature is going to cost, right? So it's really easy to go, you know, that little spinning widget with the graphic that dances across the screen. Well, that's three grand a month. Um, do you kind of want to do it? And then they sit there and go, mm, um, mm, uh. um, so, so it's really good from that perspective. The other good thing about the, the cloud is um, the opportunity cost for the cloud, right? So with my engineers not having to spin up technology and maintain technology, I can divert that that energy and that um, resource to driving business value. So for us, it's really the cost is not only about the physical cost, but then also the opportunity cost of managing technology. And hence the reason, you know, in somebody like in our organization, like Alex, we have very, very few virtual machines um, because we're just not interested in patching them, maintaining them, keeping them up to date because the opportunity cost far outweighs the, this co the cost savings. Interesting. That's such a good insight um, to, to see all the different ways of scaling. Um, and everyone has actually put on to their next little point is architectural patterns. Um, for some reason, I always think architecture and then cloud. But what's, what, what, what's the scenario there? So what happens then with architecture when you start to scale? You've got cloud you've, you've figured out you know what kind of services you want to use what when does the architectural kind of kick in and, and what what happens around that and the choice is made i can uh, i'll start with that one um go for it for us it was very really, when we started um so architecture for us started right at the day one um you know when we started to build the cloud we really had okay. uh two options when we built the cloud we could take our kind of our past experience and our past learning and use those blueprints and transport those to the cloud. Mm -hmm. Or we could say, we, we're going to go back to first principles, which is, this is the outcome that we're looking for. Now, how do we best achieve this outcome within the, in this environment, right? So how do we best achieve the outcome of, for example, um, enabling a customer to process a loan application? What's the best way to architect that within cloud, right? So. Then you sit there and go, well, um, you know, high availability is not something we really have to worry about on the cloud um, because the capability is there. So we don't really need to worry about that. But resiliency is something that we have to really work about. So how do we build a pattern around customer resiliency? How do we build an architectural pattern around customer resiliency so that they can do that? So then we'd work that out and we go, okay, that looks good. And then we put that aside. So we went through this this learning exercise on how to achieve the outcomes within the platform so that we retaught ourselves. And then we use those as kind of our fundamental principles for building the rest of the architecture so and the rest of the platform. So that's really where we use platform um, uh, patterns to actually then describe. We then drive patterns down to a, a more detailed level. Um, so yeah. once we understand, okay, we're data-driven, customer-centric, uh, real-time, so those are patterns. But what does that actually mean from an infrastructure perspective? You know, what does that mean, mean from a network perspective? What does that mean from a storage perspective? And from that level, then we create what we call like Terraform patterns uh, that then will instantiate the services that then map back to those um, first principles. Awesome. It's interesting. I kind of see the, the um, similarities in Alex Bank and what Kindred do. I'd imagine, you know, that kind of high level of availability high level of traffic um, and looking at like 
being able to support in minimums of seconds, you know, millions of users. Marona, what is it like a Kindred and, and what's the architectural setup there to support, you know, I don't know, that if you think of Cheltenham, what happens yeah, yeah, in, look, in those uh, seconds before? Like, like a, a, as you know, for, for us, it's all about um, how fast we can get transactions into our system and out of our system. So, you know, big events, big sporting events and, 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 and um, uh, functions, it's, 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 it's critical, um, you know, yeah. uh, and any sort of downtime or, or, or performance concerns um, uh, is a loss to the business. Um, so for us, pretty much in line with uh, what John mentioned there, uh, from a from a architectural principles perspective or design perspective, it was, it was all about the elasticity and scalability of our system, um, high, high availability and fault tolerance uh, of the system, uh, you know, loose coupling uh, and decoupling uh, the components uh, and the architecture of those components and pretty much stateless design, um, you know, uh, all those kind of came together to kind of build that vision for the products that we're building uh, to our consumers. Um, uh, to, to me, scalability, um, you, you know, what was critical here. In order for us to be elastic and scale uh, um, uh, during these large events or peak, peak events um, is the way that we handled uh, our performance concerns and our performance metrics. Um, it was important for us to ensure that we had horizontal scaling in place across all, uh, across all, of, all of our services. Very different pretty much to what John um, does. You know, we're, we're very VM heavy on, on, our, on our side. So we run a lot okay. of VMs. Uh, you know, we run Kubernetes workloads internally. Uh, we manage our own infrastructure internally. So for us to be able to um, uh, scale Kubernetes and scale our infrastructure was 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 critical to the success and the performance of our platform. Um, it is an event-driven uh, uh, architecture uh, platform. So, uh, you know, we run a Kafka messaging bus uh, in, in the background. Uh, so again, scalability and performance of that messaging bus was critical to how we handle, you know, uh, our large events. Um, uh, from a from an orchestration perspective, um, you know we build everything from the ground up. Uh, again, Terraform, uh, Ansible uh, is all tools that we use to pretty much um, uh, uh, you know orchestrate our, our our infrastructure. So we 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 try to automate as much as possible. Uh, infrastructure as code is is, is critical to us. Um, uh, and you know, going back to the high availability and fault tolerance, um, you know, ensuring that uh, we eliminate single points of failure on our system is key. Uh, so being able to have services that uh, that uh, that scale across different clusters, different uh, um, uh, geographical locations, um, and and looking at the workloads that are coming through from our users, being able to direct traffic to those uh, various clusters, what uh, was key. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, pretty similar, but in a different way. Um, you know, uh, the, the hybrid approach pretty much tackles it um, uh, quite quite differently when it comes to. Um, you know the hardware that we manage internally versus yeah know, a, a serverless kind of um, platform in the cloud. Very interesting. I actually thought it'd be really similar, but it's quite different then. Yeah. And Sanjay, I feel like this is your bread and butter, um, yeah. and <laughs> this is what you do in day to day and day out. But um, yeah, yeah, you, your topics mm. have come. You know, is quite in that architectural patterns, cloud design patterns, loading, queuing. You mentioned horizontal, vertical. Tell us a bit about the scale and how you're ch like championing that at Anora at the moment. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I mean, we for us the scale is mostly on based on devices, not not in terms of yeah. users. I mean, most of the users that we have on a platform, they are more of admins and operators kind of people, right? So it's not too many yeah. people coming in. Um, and and we are, I think, our default mode is serverless, right? So we yeah. we are heavy users of serverless. Um, we use. Microsoft Azure as our uh, platform of choice. 
So we leverage like all the Azure functions and event hubs and service bus queues and uh, whatever you have um, um, in terms of database and whatnot. So we, we leverage serverless as much as we can because of the similar reasons this, these guys just talked about. So uh, for us, uh, whenever there's, uh, you know, any kind of load, we know we can scale, we can leverage the auto scaling features of all these services that we're using um, if we end up in, a, in such a situation. And for us, more than anything, um, I mean, we ingest a lot of data from different devices of different vendors. So uh, either it's via APIs that we call or those devices send us their data to us, uh, you know, uh, one way or other. And based on that, we we design our approaches, how we're going to work with those things. But most important feature for us is to, we are reliably able to ingest data from any devices. Or if customers are reaching us, they have to reach us no matter what, right? So uh, we we think from that perspective. Uh, so we design our solutions based on that. We we um, uh, we we kind of partition, you know, data and you know, in terms of uh, event hubs, there are a lot of partitions and on databases there are sharding. Um, so we use all these kind of techniques to to make sure we are able to scale our solution. And and in in my experience, I mean, scaling. It's kind of as good as as your weakest link, right? So you're using ten services <laughs> uh, in your pipeline, right? If one of them is not properly configured, you're screwed, right? Your your whole thing comes down. And I mean, I'm sure um, a lot of us has experienced those kind of scenarios where okay, one service, one little tiny Redis cluster, and you're gone. Kind of brings things down the whole chain. <laughs> yeah. So so that's what makes it a bit bit you know tricky to design any of your solution in. We know um, in cloud, uh, even though it, it a lot of those services do offer auto scaling, like we hear the term auto scaling, but it varies from service to service. What does auto scaling mean for an individual service that you're using, right? So, in some scenarios, um, you know you're using ten services, but one or two of those services do not offer kind of kind of scaling or auto scaling you want. And in some instances, the service can scale up, but it cannot come down, right? So, I was actually going to ask that. How does yeah, that work? Have, yeah, I mean, there are some services, uh, which I think under the hood, they are running VMs and you have to basically bring them down yourself. So you have to have some other oh. mechanism to scale it down via script or some sort of automation. So, uh, yeah, so for us, I mean, we, we try to leverage um, as much um, of those services where we can get those auto scaling. That's why we, we, we are heavy users of Azure Functions. Um, because they offer such kind of scale, they they auto scale and they come down, you know, um, and and even in that there's their different flavors, right? What kind of um, payment plan you use, it has different capabilities. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, in in any kind of even driven system where you can you know expect any kind of load at any time, you have to be mindful of all of these things. Uh, how you you know pick those services and how you configure those services and you have to be sure all of these services are scaling as per your needs. Uh, but also, how do you write your code, right? I mean, doesn't matter, I have an amazing infrastructure put out there, but if I'm not using the right uh, design patterns for writing the code, those services are not going to help me anyway. So we, you need to use these things like, um, you know, load leveling, for example. How do you manage load? You introduce queues, you know, um, you scale horizontally versus vertical scaling and you use checkpointing so you don't end up, you know, re-ingesting the same data over and over again. So you have to bring in those good old uh, software engineering practices 
to write your code because your your code is running in the cloud. You have to think from that perspective. You have to write your code that is appropriate for the cloud environment to actually leverage all those goodness that cloud platform um, platforms provide to us. Excellent. This is so insightful. Um, it's it's when I'm like headhunting for software engineers. It's exactly how I yeah I love to hear that sort of those those words come true. So it's really insightful, Sanjay. Um, what I was going to say now was like looking at everyone's topics that you've brought up. We have security best practices. We've got monitoring and observability, um, and then vision and clarity. And I feel like they all kind of come under the same um, hood essentially. Um, and John, tell us a little bit around security and best practices at Alex Bank, because I imagine uh, that's a mammoth of a task, right? <laughs> yes, mammoth of a task. And, uh, you know, um, I think for anybody who's in the cloud or anybody who's got customer data or, or, or privacy data, it's uh, it keeps you awake at night, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. probably the number one thing that keeps... Uh, kept Everyone's you awake. Not on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, it's a... It's a massive responsibility for engineers, right? And um, if you use best practices, if you if you build to what Sanjay was saying, if you, if you build those good old design patterns that you've got uh, and you embed it within your your engineering practice, that's half the problem, right? That that is half, you know, leaving the loopholes. You know, for so for example, um, on Azure, you build a storage account by default; it's publicly enabled, right? So. You want to shut those things down, find those practices, shut them down. Mm. We build we build for zero trust uh, within within Alex Bank, so we don't trust anything. Uh, we always, you know, verify, authenticate, validate, um, and and build in those. But those are really then pushing a different set of skills down to the engineers. Um, you know, the engineers now have to follow you know secure coding practices. Um, they have to be aware of how to handle tokens and encryption and those kind of things. So it's quite an uplift from an engineering perspective within your team to make them aware that, hey, wait a minute, you're in a cloud environment. By default, everything is public. Um, you've kind of got to build that that private and that understanding of of security within there. And And, you know, for best practices, that's the same, right? So you've got to build your security best practices, your login best practices, uh, you know, your error handling, your failover, happy paths, unhappy paths. Um, you know, the in an event-based architectures like we're all following, um, it's great when things work. But what happens if something doesn't actually happen, right? So you've got to also then not only look at the... the um, for something that has happened, you've got to look for things that haven't happened as well within those architectures. So it starts to become very, very complicated um, in the in the event-based microservice architecture. So best yeah. practices and securities are you know, key uh, for engineers to understand uh, and the design patterns and good old-fashioned OWASP and coding practices and discipline and peer programming and all of those kind of things really yeah. really help a lot in the parades it's it's quite interesting um i won't let you know how old i am because i don't want to give that away but uh, it's quite interesting to be somebody who has coded long ago um and still have those same practices that you've got to follow even though you're yeah. in a, a very very modern environment uh you know you can't you can't lose sight of them 
And it's almost like I feel like there's a couple of years there where everyone kind of got away with maybe not being so um, on it with their own art. And um, also I feel like I find now, like when people come to me to find them engineers, it's like, but they must have security now. They must have that. Those fundamentals are more important now than ever um, yeah. with the world that we live in, really. Um, Sanjay, you... You mentioned monitoring and observability. Honestly, observability, I must have heard the word about 100, maybe 200 times today. <laughs> um, tell us tell us all about that at, at Enorum. And that's your best friend in terms of uh, crisis. So whenever you hit a crisis, you need to make sure you have the data. You can, you know, see what, what went wrong. So, uh, I mean, yeah, as, as we are all building with event-driven distributed systems, right? So instead of one monolith service, we have like 10 different mm-hmm. services talking to each other and um, in between queues and event hubs and whatnot. So you need to know what's happening at any given time to any of your service, right? So whenever you are troubleshooting for anything, uh, I mean, there are different aspects, right? So one of, one of the aspects, I mean, uh, where it comes handy is if, if something goes wrong, if you have enough traces, if you have enough logs, you know, uh, if you have enough telemetry, let me put it that way, it's it's a lot easier to, you know, find the problem, you know, find the root cause and quickly come to the point where you can fix the issue, you know. It's just all about how, how quickly you are able to resolve any issue that you have encountered. So, um, and, and um, another aspect could be even having a right level of monitoring kind of helps you in terms of, you know, keeping your costs uh, in check, mm-hmm. you know, if if any of the resources that you are, if you're running VMs, for example, what's the CPU usage, what's the memory usage, what are those events which are of interest to you so you can actually take in proactive action before it becomes a problem. So for me, I mean, these two things go hand in hand in terms of um, running your operations right for whatever yeah. you're serving to your customers. Um, and as a as a developer, of course, um, a lot of these things uh, are very useful uh, to tie in with your coding practices. You know, so you are you're you're ingesting the right amount of telemetry information, um, so you mm-hmm. can actually turn the knobs and find out what what is it that is causing a problem. Um, and I think in in this case, um, tools are critical. Tools play a huge role. I mean, be it your dev tools that you're using, the way you are uh, stitching all these things up to uh, the services that cloud platforms provide or any third-party tools for that matter. Um, you know, tools play a critical role in terms of setting up the right uh, level of monitoring and observability to, to run a smooth operation. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, for us, a... we, we try to use, sorry, we try to use um, um, Azure primarily. We have, you know, heavily use app insights and log, log analytics and ADX for that matter. So it's it's a good mix of out of the box uh, uh, telemetry that we get, but we have our own as well. So we can be sure what our services are doing at any given time. It's, um, it's such a fascinating um, concept, the observability, observability piece. <laughs> um, I've spoke to so many um, engineer managers and CTOs recently, and they're actually creating separate platform teams that are creating this whole um, dev capability piece um, that is just going to drive the whole kind of productivity for the developers um, to leverage off. And like you said, they're actually creating and inventing their own tools um, for their own products in in this space. Um, 
it's it's amazing. It's becoming a whole other little um, kind of um, version of engineers. Um, yeah, I, I would say. I mean, it, there's been months. There's been months we've spent more on uh, logging products than than any other any <laughs> other part of the club. It's yeah. notoriously expensive for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing. Like, and a lot of companies are are creating these teams, and they're becoming really valuable. Um, and and that companies are building their own like developer tool within a product. Uh, it's 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 really cool. Um, Maroon, um. You have to do this at a global scale. Um, what does that look like? Uh, I'd say it's a lot different, um, maybe than what John and, and Sandy have discussed. Like you're probably a lot more of like trying to the collaboration piece um, and the observability. How does that work? <laughs> Before kicking into that, I just want to touch base on something that John and um, Sandy alluded yeah, to. Sure. Um, just on the engineering side and the, and the engineers of today versus the engineers of ten years ago. Um, yeah. The engineers of 10 years ago where, you know, you're just a developer, an engineer, you come in, you do some code and you, you kind of go home. Nowadays, an engineer has to be across DevOps, SRE, has to be across security, has to be onboarded into best practice, uh, uh, you know, from a compliance regulatory perspective. So it, it's a different landscape that we find ourselves in today versus yeah. five or 10 years ago. So that evolution and watching the evolution come together, uh, you, know, you know, flow over the last 10 years has been um, uh, quite interesting because... Um, you know, it, it's, it's quite a journey that, the, that an engineer has gone through over the last 10 years to become this 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 engineer that's got such a breadth of experience across, you know, multifaceted um, uh, environment versus what it used to be 10 years ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so talking on the um, observability stack uh, for Kindred uh, and, and the monitoring and security aspects of it all, um, it is, it, it, it's, it's a global... It's a global initiative, and it's something that uh, probably keeps me keeps me up at night. Doesn't let me sleep because you know, at the end of the day, you know, security and observability um, is 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 um, uh, sorry, observability is our eyes to to the platform. Without that, we're pretty much blind to what's going on. Um, from a from from our perspective, um, uh, monitoring is important. Understanding user journeys throughout our platform and how data flows through our, through our platform is critical to the success of. How we can um, be proactive in addressing uh, issues and, and and problems in our domain. Um, we we take this approach of trying to identify issues before our customers uh, pick up on the issues. So trying to be proactive in 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 pinpointing when something's going to go wrong. Uh, you know, we do uh, some some effective chaos engineering in our in, in, on our platform where we regularly take things down uh, and learn from the effects of what what's what's happened uh, on the platform and, and kind of take those learnings and implement uh, new monitoring tools or new uh, dashboards to kind of help us, um, you know, look out for these things that are coming through. Uh, so, so from from my, my perspective at a global scale, um, you know, it, it it's all about you know, are we capturing the right metrics? Uh, do we have the right thresholds and alarms in place? Do we have the right health health checks? And does our SRE um, DevOps and platform engineering team align and, and are working together to you know build the ecosystem of of, of observability for 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 our demand? Um, uh, you know, go talking about um, you know uh, uh, logging and metrics and and and, and just tracing in general. Uh, the tooling around that is is quite robust. These days. There's so many tools out there, so many options for engineering teams to use. That you know, you can go from cloud native open source solutions to you know third party paid solutions where you know you're you're licensed and, and, and you kind of have to onboard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at Kindred we we have a myriad of um, tools that we you know that we use. Uh, um, and what we tend to do is we tend to 
look at tools uh, from a perspective as to the value that they're going to provide us from a uh, from a global perspective. Uh, can they help us identify issues on the platform versus are they just a tool to um, you know provide us uh, you know further visibility? Uh, so it's important that when we're identifying tools, identifying systems that can uh, complement our our uh, our um, uh, uh, products. Um, what are the benefits they're providing to to uh, to our teams? Um, uh, you know, that are maintaining our platform. So, yeah, it, it's it's um it's 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 quite an open market, really. To be honest, uh, when it yeah. comes to availability. Definitely evolving, for sure. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm obviously. Um, do you know what? I'm really conscious of time. I know you're all so so, so busy, but I think one point I think we all want to definitely touch on is, um. When you recognise, I suppose you, you've done scale and it's a success. Um, it's probably looking at our customer or our end user. So let's talk about our customer, John. Um, you mentioned customers on Trustpilot and twenty four NPF. I'm sure that kind of shows you when you've scaled and it's a success. That talk about that. So I think I think the hard thing with technology is 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 how do you measure success, right? Is is you know a lot of stuff like you know the three of us sitting around here are pretty geeky. Um, so for us, you know, success is, is probably implementing a cube cluster and, you know, going off and then pulling the plug out and watching it horizontally scale and picking up the thing. And, you know, that's cool for us because that's super geeky. But I think really when you know that you've made an impact with technology is when you get that validation from your customer or you get, you know, you get your goals played back in their words. Yeah. Uh, and for us at Alex, that has been Fantastic. You know, we, we um, started our Trustpilot uh, review quite some time ago, um, and that's mm. been hugely successful. Uh, we get a, you know, currently we've got about a 4.8 rating from our customers uh, with a 74 NPS, uh, which is quite high. But, you know, the, the 4.8 are great, it, it, but it's the ones and the twos that we really look at. Um, you know, so we look at the tech, the, the comments out there that say, um, you know, this is a great platform. It's simple, fast, easy to use. But where's your internet banking? Or where's this feature? Or where's that feature? Because yeah. that for us gives us great insight into what the customer's thinking or how they're using the technology or what's not kind of working for them. Likewise, you know, when we, when we start to look at building these systems, um, we've got to build them from two two aspects, right? One is the staff internally, how they use the systems, but then it's also from a customer perspective and how they consume the system. And then you overlay the, the distribution channels that we're actually going down and each distribution channel is then a different experience, a different customer, a different way. So for us, being able to build that technology once and then scale it for multiple customer journeys and then mm. get really, really good feedback in, in each of those channels uh, is kind of the, the holy grail that, that we're trying to reach from a customer perspective. Nice one. Excellent insight. Thank you. Sanjay, Moran, do you want to add to that? Yeah. Add to, uh, in terms, just kind of understanding, like, from the end user point or the, the end goal, like, when do you sort of see that? What's that mean for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when it comes to UX, user experience, I mean, this irrespective you're running in a cloud or not right so it's, it stays the same if, if the product that you have built if customers don't know where things are i mean it's of no use right so that that remains still the critical part of it but what yeah. scale brings a, a, a challenges challenges basically like how to design you know normal behaviors within your site but 
you have 10 users versus 100,000 users, right? A simple feature can mean different things at scale. Yeah. So how do you uh, design that user experience to how do you design that API that is serving those 100,000 users, right? So there's a huge spectrum. So for cloud or for anything at scale, you need to be um, uh, conscious of, you need to deliberate how you design any feature on your mm -hmm. platform because it, these things matter. I mean, these things, I mean, if if your page is kind of, you know, taking 15 to 20 seconds to load, I mean, customers would be frustrated, right? I mean, you yeah. don't sit currently in, you know, any consumer grade application that you use, be it Amazon or Facebook or LinkedIn, you don't wait for it's that amazing, long, isn't it? slow. Yeah, so. Matt, two seconds, you're like, oh, it's so slow. Again, yeah. you're just like, it was actually it's, not even. The thing like, is, we are, so, we, are so, we are so accustomed to these experiences, right? To yeah. all these Airbnbs and Amazons and Facebooks, they've ruined it for us. So <laughs> yeah. we, we, the, the bar is bar is so high. I mean, you need to build those experiences oh. for any, any user. So that's how yeah. it is. Sometimes I hit the button on the left. I'm like, what? I have to take it so long. <laughs> you know, it's just everything's at your fingertips and should be in seconds. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Just just to uh, play on to that, Sanjay, um, you know, when we when we built our first versions of our, of our technology, we actually got the opposite problem. We were too fast. Um, oh so, wow! So the customers actually, uh, you know, customers, <laughs> and you can you can go through our trust pilot. You can go through our trust pilot uh, comments. So they actually read them. So customers actually didn't believe that we were actually doing the work that we said we were doing because right. the platform was so fast. Because they just they, they it's like when your programmed. food comes out too quick. Correct. Like, That's been sitting <laughs> around all day. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh my so god. You, so we had to um, we had to modify our customer uh, UI UX to provide context and purpose back to the customer to say this is what we're working on, this is what we're doing, we're doing this for you now, and then providing that right. context and purpose through the UI, um, it actually stopped us getting the bad reviews because people thought that you know how can you do what you've done in fractions of seconds, right? They just didn't believe us. We thought they thought that we were scamming them. <laughs> That's incredible. Very interesting. Oh my god! Actually, Sanjay, um, you mentioned it as well. You just mentioned UI UX there, Sanjay. You're one of your points was designing the UI UX for scale. Is that actually what um, John's has touched on there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there are nuances, right? So depending on your product, what are you trying to put up? I mean, so you have to take the feedback from customer uh, because that's where most of the insights come from. Like, I mean, yeah. we sitting on a backend, we design this awesome feature, but how the customers are going to use this thing and what does good mean to them and yeah. This, this is a challenge for uh, any engineering team to basically, uh, you know, uh, you have to work with your backend and frontend and, and, and the customer feedback to put up an experience. We are all delivering an experience at the end of the day, experience, right? Experience, yes. For the for the customers. So if they are happy using our products, I mean, it's, it's a good metric of success, I would say. If they keep yeah. on coming back to your platform, um, it's useful for them, right? So Yes. Very interesting point. Marun, surely that is so important. Like, Kindred's, uh, your UX, UI, your experience there has to be, like, on point, right? 100%. Uh, to us, it's all about speed. You know, the faster we can get um, data in front of our clients, um, you know, the faster we can get transactions coming through the system. So, you know, responsive yeah. design, uh, you know, our app-first approach is, is, is critical to, to, to that uh, philosophy. Um, you know, it, the, the, from, from a user perspective, um, uh, the you know interaction in your app is critical to um, to the to the success and, and the viability of that app. Um, you know, I think Sanjay touched on it. You know, having a 
slow non-performing app uh, you know really touch really really resonates with end users and, and and turns people away so it's important that responsive design um is 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 you know critical to to the success yeah. of so yeah and john yeah that's a fascinating point you just made i never think that um, but your sole point was when it's something that's such important, um, delicate information, you're like, how does that happen so quickly? Um, so you'd have to kind of re-engineer that. Very interesting. Yeah. We we had to we had to really look at the um the the gravity of the situation that the customer was in and really yeah. to, through our UI UX empathize with what the customer was trying to do. Um yeah. and then transfer that empathy into a respectful response time back to the customer rather than a uh, a, a technically achievable response time. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Um, you know what? I think just um, a really important point, Maroon, you were talking about is it, when you're building for scale, you guys are all, all leaders in your own respect and you're taking scale on a journey. You're taking people on a journey, customer, uh, your teams, um, you're scaling out people's skill sets, you're stretching people thin. How do you do that as a leader? And one important thing you you mentioned there is empathy. And, and I think that's something that's really important to you, Maroon, as a leader at Kindred is empathy and emotional intelligence um, in these high performing, like fast growing, scalable teams. Tell us, just, let's just touch a little bit on that um, as leaders. How, how do you guys manage that? Um, Maroon, tell me a bit about it. Yeah, 100%. I, I think um, empathy is key. Um, you know, being able to resonate with your your staff and your and your management team is important. Uh, it's a reflection on you at the end of the day. Um, you know, your your management skills and your in the way that you lead an organization kind of reflects on 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 your management team and how they lead the, the you know their individual teams. Um, to us, it's um, you know when when it comes to building at scale and building and, and scaling teams. Um, it's in, you know, I think I touched this at the start of the um, the call. Um, it's important yeah. that you find uh, people that resonate with that um, uh, and that will want to be invested in that culture that you're trying to build within the organisation. Um, yeah. You, you know, I think you know we've spoken a few times shortly around this. Uh, when, yeah. when you go through the hiring process, um, you know, it's not all about the, the technical skills of a of an employee. It's also about their cultural fit and how they fit into that into, into your organisational and what and what you're trying to build. So to me, when we hire. Uh, we look at that cultural uh, aspect of it all. We looked at the uh, the proactiveness of you wanting to be involved in that um, in that yeah. um, culture that we're trying to build, and then we look at the technical skill sets and and and, and go from there. So, yeah. from my perspective, um, you know, as long as you, you're you're proactive, you're you, you've got the competencies, you've got the experience behind you, uh, we can onboard you and teach you anything um, or on on our platform and then the way that we do yeah. things. Um, culture is key to. You know, growing at scale and and having a well invested team that wants to work towards your, you know, your vision and your your direction. So yeah, and it sounds like these types of teams and you you all you as as you guys as leaders, um, you really do value people's potential. You know, like I suppose Sanjay, you're a bit of a, a unicorn, I must say, with the uh, you're you're depth and breadth of skills that you you work on still coding, and obviously we're on the John as well. But you must have to um hire and recognize people's sort of potential um and like you said attitude and ability to apply themselves to like they might not have done terraforms before they're just a back-end on engineer that's been building for scale but not hit terraforms like you know not everyone has this depth of skills that you look for or like sandy was saying pretty much a detective looking for the observability pieces so it's like it's it's so important that you you as leaders can recognize that and help people along the journey and support them 
Um, and you sound like you all pretty much lead by example, um, which is really important. Um, but yeah, has anyone else got anything else to add into this, guys, or around scale? Or um, do you feel like we've hit the nail on the head in all aspects? I think we've hit it on the head. I think just back to your engineers, though, I think it's, you know, finding finding those engineers that have a healthy sense of curiosity uh, and passion, yeah. and then also being able to to build an environment where they can grow confidence. You know, I know, I know especially in our industry and in financial services, people are, are kind of um, boxed uh, quite a lot with their skills. So it takes us quite a, quite a while yeah. to actually break break them out of that and, and let them know that it's okay for them to experiment. It's okay for them to learn. Um, it's okay to grow. Um, you know, and it's okay to fail, quite frankly, because yeah. it's a safe, safe environment and, and build those skills with the team uh, and give them that confidence so that they can try new things and grow into, like Maroon was saying, is grow into that true full stack engineer that goes from requirements all the way through to, um, you know, uh, releasing code, but also then UI, UX, all the way down to basically uh, infrastructure as well. Amazing. Okay. Well, guys, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I, th- I feel like I know we've just got eight minutes over time. We could talk about this all day. Um, it's been absolute brilliant um, topic and incredible insights. So um, I just, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. But thanks so much for joining us on another Evolution Exchange podcast um, and discussing such a good topic of choosing the right technology for successful scalability. Um, and I'll see you on the next um, next chat.